Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray, Father, that this morning I would be faithful to your word, that my words would serve uh, to the extent that they, they show what is in your word. Show us more of yourself this morning. Show us Christ this morning. Show us more of ourselves that we may be uh, cleansed, convicted. Father, maybe for some who are in here this morning who are not believers in Christ, that the gospel will go forward and that you would save, Lord, rescue, and forgive. And I know, Father, that for this to be of any value, it must be of your Spirit. So, Lord, remind us and remind me that the flesh profits nothing. It is the Spirit who gives life. So would you do that, Father, through your word this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. There is no pain so deep as the pain of betrayal. No betrayal so deep as when your own flesh and bone betray you. Whether it's a child, a parent, or a spouse, to have your heart trampled by one so close causes pain that is unimaginable. I sat at my computer and I thought about whether I was even going to say that or type that. Because I'm sure that in a room this size, there are some among us who have inflicted that pain. And some among us who have felt that pain. When we go through it, it may appear impossible for any good to come, any hope to remain. Yet it's also true that there is no imagery quite like that of mercy extended to the undeserving. Forgiveness and healing coming at great cost and through much pain. No beauty like the beauty that the Lord can cause to rise from the ashes of what sin has broken. Such is the story of the book of Hosea. And such is the story of the life of every single believer in Jesus Christ. A depravity that is unspeakable, yet offered a mercy that is almost unbelievable. The book of Hosea tells our story. Broken covenant. Unfaithful. Standing under judgment and receiving great mercy. 
Hosea was called to a brutal ministry. If you've never read the book of Hosea, we're going to do it. We're going to do it for the next four weeks. 14 chapters in four weeks. Buckle up. But Hosea was called to a brutal ministry. Not only was he to proclaim a difficult message, he was called to live out that message for everyone to see. The main message of Hosea, however, is not how difficult life was for Hosea, but just how unfaithful God's people Israel had been toward him. They had made vows and broken them time and time and time again. They lived in a time when Israel, the northern kingdom, so Israel has been, the nation of Israel has been split into two kingdoms, the northern and southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah had separated about 200 years before this book was written, and Israel the nation, the northern kingdom, was experiencing a time of unprecedented prosperity materially. At a time when they were richer than they had ever been, living in more luxury than they had ever been around 760, 750 B.C. during the reign of Jeroboam II in Israel. During a time like this, Hosea was called to stand up and tell them that it was all about to end. They were facing judgment for their wicked use of everything that God had given them. But even still, they are given hope that this judgment will lead to a restored relationship with the one whom they have betrayed. This morning, we're going to look at Hosea chapters 1 through 3, and we're going to consider three things, a crushing call, a betraying bride, and an alluring husband. A crushing call, a betraying bride, and an alluring husband. And in some ways, Hosea chapters 1 through 3 encapsulates the entire message of the book. So today is going to serve as kind of an overview for the next few weeks. So if you say, man, I really wish you had talked about this, there's a good chance that it's something that I'm going to be focusing more on in the coming weeks. Um, Hosea is a book that's filled with three things. If, if you wanted a how can I study through the book of Hosea type of exercise, look at the, the accusations, the charges that God makes against the people of Israel the curses he pronounces on the people of Israel, and the blessings he promises for the people of Israel. The people of God stood guilty before a holy God. And though this prophecy was given to a group of people about 3,000 years ago, there is a ton in the book of Hosea that applies to us today. For those who have come through the doors this morning not believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here saying, I definitely don't believe or I don't know what I believe. We're so glad to have you with us. I'd like you to consider something. Consider this morning your willingness to take the good gifts that God has given to you. Everything you have, whether you acknowledge it or not, comes from the hand of the Lord. 
How we take the good gifts that God gives us and use them for everything except His honor. Consider the life that He has given you. Consider breath to breathe this morning. Consider 10,000 other things that He does for you every single day, even though you don't acknowledge Him. Consider that He is calling you this morning to believe in Him, to trust in Him, to find life in His Son, Jesus. I pray that you would hear of His mercy this morning and turn to Him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, saved by grace, filled with the Holy Spirit, we too still carry around these bodies of flesh. We too still feel the pull of the world around us. The pull to take God's good gifts and use them to serve our flesh. To forget Him whom we ought to never forget. And He beckons us today, remember. Remember His mercy. I'm going to read all of chapters 1 through 3. And as I, I sent out, I, I hope you received and looked a little bit at the primer that I sent out. Uh, there is some, it's strong language, strong language in, the, in these chapters. I won't dwell on much of the strong language except for the themes. Hosea 1.1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the, Lord, for the land commits a great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. She conceived and bore him a son, and the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name not my people. For you are not my people and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. 
Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore and she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. So she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her from my hand. And I will put an end to her mirth, all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest. And the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with, herself with ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer me as in the days of her youth and as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. And I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy." I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people." And he shall say, you are my God. And the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver 
and a homer and a lethek of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. This is the word of the Lord. So the three things we want to talk about, as I mentioned, a crushing call, a betraying bride, and an alluring husband. The book of Hosea starts with the words, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. First words of it. This is really, really important for a couple reasons. First, because if it's not the word of the Lord, it does not have godly authority. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative and without error. The word of man can be erroneous, but the word of the Lord is infallible, inerrant. Every word of the Lord proves true. And it would be the case for these people living in prosperity, living in freedom, freedom from conflict with surrounding nations. Their peace was fragile and temporary. And secondly, because it was the word of the Lord, Hosea was emboldened to speak it and live it as painful as it might be. Who's signing up for Hosea's calling in your life? Dare to be a Hosea. Hosea's first call was not to preach, but to be a living picture of what would be preached. God calls him to take a wife who is not faithful, a wife who is willing to sell her affections to the highest bidder. Go love a woman like that. Go marry a woman like that, Hosea. And while I doubt very highly, I'll just tell you, if one of you comes up to, to me after church and says, I feel like that, I have that calling on my life. Uh, that's, that's what God's calling me to. Praise God, as I prayed. There are some who have been called to that, though they didn't know it, and have shown the, a picture of God's grace and mercy. And that, that brings me to a point that while I doubt any of us will be called prior to it, to the specific calling that Hosea was called to, it is not a crazy thought that he will call his people to hard things. The Christian life, it's not promised to be an easy calling. We live in a world that is hostile to the gospel. And so therefore, it stands to reason that God will call His people to do things that are very difficult in the midst of a world that is dark to shine light. He will call us to do difficult things for His glory. We don't like hard things. I want my calling to be the easy one. Everything goes well for me. Every time I share the gospel, the person becomes a believer and no trouble ever befalls me. That's the calling I'm looking for in my life. 
But such is not the case in this world. Hard does not equal bad. Difficult does not equal bad. Difficult often means glorious. Much of the language of this letter is that of a broken-hearted and angry husband. One who had been betrayed in the worst ways imaginable. God's emotions in this letter ought not be thought of as our, ours are, okay? The Lord is not governed by His emotions. He does have emotions, as we see throughout Scripture, and we are made in His image. We have emotions. The Lord Himself has emotions, but the Lord is not governed by His emotions. He is sovereign over all. His emotions do not come from surprise. They are not dictating His will. However, his emotions are vividly present in this passage. Hosea is called to marry this wife. He is called to have children with this wife. Kids, would you be appreciative if your mom or dad named you No Mercy? I'd like to introduce you to my child, No Mercy. Or my child, not my people. What a beautiful name. Jezreel. Now we're going to get to that. That's got a little double meaning. But Jezreel, commemorating a, a vicious slaughter at the hands of your great-great-grandfather. Beyond that, Hosea is given a further calling in chapter 3. A call to go to his wife who has apparently at this point put, she's left, and she's apparently up for sale. Now, was she a slave being sold by the one she was indebted to? Had she sold herself to another? Was she selling herself to the highest bidder? We don't know. But we do know that she's in the situation that she's in because of her adulterous spirit and her adulterous actions. And as if Hosea had not experienced enough disgrace at the hands of his bride, the Lord now tells him, go and bid for her. Go buy back your wife. Not just buy her back, Hosea, but the Lord actually says to him, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. So he's saying, Hosea, you go buy your bride back and, and I want you to love her. Even though nothing in her life shows in any way that she has any love for you. She's out there selling herself to the highest bidder. You go be the highest bidder and love her. That's impossible. And yet, here we see four little words that to me are among the most poignant, startling, beautiful in all of Scripture. Three, two. How does it start? 
Three, two, four words. So I bought her. He bought her. Can you put yourself in this position? He had been betrayed in the worst ways imaginable. He had followed God's calling once to do something that was painful. Betrayed in the worst ways imaginable. And now God says, go go do it again. Disgrace yourself further. So I bought her and loved her. He bought his wayward bride back. Hosea obeyed the word of the Lord, and his obedience painted a picture. So with the rest of our time this morning, let's consider the picture it painted. The betraying bride. Gomer was the living embodiment of the people of Israel's posture toward their husband, the Lord. Many times in Scripture, including in our reading earlier in the service, the imagery of marriage is used to describe the Lord's relationship to His people. We know that. We are called the Bride of Christ. Israel had made a covenant with the Lord. If you've read through the book of Deuteronomy, if you've read through the book of Joshua, the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the end of the book of Joshua, you see this covenant that the Lord makes with his people. He makes promises. He says, I will do this. And to them, he says, if you do this, the Mosaic covenant, if you do this, then you will continue to be blessed. If you do not, then you will be cursed. How did they do in their covenant? Poorly. That's, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. Once they did poorly. Oh, pretty much always. Yeah, they are pretty much. So they made marriage vows to the Lord. Do you remember? Have you read the end of the book of Joshua? They, they talk about, Joshua talks about the covenant. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, will serve the Lord. A lot of you have that hanging over your dinner tables or whatever. And they say, yes, we want to serve the Lord. And what does Joshua say? No, you don't. No, you won't. Don't make these promises. And time and time and time again, they broke their covenant with the Lord. And he was patient. And he was merciful. And he tried to to remind them of the covenant. And he would discipline them. And they would say, we're really sorry. And then he'd say, okay, I forgive you. And then they'd do it again and again and again and again. The Lord begins to lay out His case against them in the book of Hosea. Because these people, His people, had hearts that were desperately wicked. Their husband had been faithful, but they had a wandering eye. They wanted the life that the rest of the world had. That's a story of the people of God in the Old Testament. Over and over and over again. He says, remove those influences from you because they're going to win you over. And they say, no, we'll be fine. We're good. Just a little bit. We'll sacrifice you. Know, we'll, we'll make a little bit of an of a, uh, you know, exception here. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll not quite do everything that God says here. And they were a people who wanted to be like everybody else around them. So the Lord lays out His case. In 1-2, He says, you have forsaken Me. They have forsaken the Lord. 
In 2.2, he calls them spiritual adulterers. They are adulterous in their behavior. They are the children of spiritual adulterers, he says in 2.4. It's a generational problem. This keeps happening. They were following in the footsteps of their adulterous parents, he says in 2.5. They used God's blessings for the worship of other gods. 2.8, you, do you have your Bibles open? Follow along with me while I get my drink that I forgot. That's what I said, four words, right? Two eight, right? So, so it says that these people are using the gifts that God has given. And 2.8, he says, and she didn't know that it was I who gave her the grain and the wine and the oil. It says in 2.12 that they had, they had taken to the worship of the Baals. Uh, Baal, Baal was a generic term, meaning Lord or Master. And the nations around them had many lords and masters, many gods that they would make sacrifices to, often in horrific and lewd and awful ways. They would make sacrifices to these gods, these false gods, saying, if we do this, then the crops will be fertile, the fields will produce, whatever it may be. And they would thank the Baals for these gifts. And God is saying to his own people, Israel, he's saying, you took the things that I gave you and you used them in service to gods that are not gods at all. You used them for your adultery. You use them to disgrace the one who gave them to you. Long gone were the days of the Jewish feasts where they would be reminded from whose hand every single good thing they had truly came. They weren't observing any of this stuff. They didn't even remember that there was a book of the law at one point in their history. The Lord says, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Life, prosperity, hope, health, all of it comes from the hand of the one true God. Do you know that? And they took these lavish blessings and they poured them out in service of another God. The pool of this world is strong. Do you realize that every single thing you have is a gift from God meant to be used to glorify God? Do you believe that? I was thinking about our graduates, and I said I'm going to pray, pray for them again on the 26th, but the, the pull of this world is strong. The world tells you, just, just have a little, just a little sin. Like, just, just compromise a little bit. You can still be a Christian and give yourself over to this. You can love God and the world at the same time. The Apostle James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Don't be deceived, friends. The allure of the ways of the nations around them slowly but surely captured the hearts of the Israelites. And when we give ourselves over to little compromises, slowly but surely, our hearts will be captured too. 
Sin is deceitful. Sin takes you places you never thought you'd go. Many of us in this room know that too well by personal experience. That when we find ourselves in a certain pit, or have in the past found ourselves in a certain pit, we said, I never thought I'd be here. Never. I never intended to end up here. That's what sin does. The nation of Israel did not set out to be here, but by small compromises over time, they ended up here to a point where maybe the most heartbreaking accusation in 2.13, the Lord says, they forgot me. How could they forget him? He was the one who made them. He was the one who built their nation. The prophet Jeremiah says it also in his prophecy. Chapter 2 of Jeremiah, verse 32. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. We live in a world that has functionally forgotten God. If I cannot see him, he must not be real. If I cannot see him, he has no authority over me. Though he made me, though he could demand my life and demand an account for my life at any moment, I will ignore him. I will live contrary to his call. Even in the church, many live their day-to-day lives as if he does not exist. Functionally forgetting him. Brothers and sisters, it's a question worth asking ourselves. How often do I live as one who has forgotten that the Lord even exists? How much of my life is is lived apart from the knowledge that He exists, apart from acknowledging Him, apart from seeking Him, forgotten His kindness, His holiness, His blessings. We are forgetful people apart from the grace of God, aren't we? We forget all the time. How is that possible? How do we forget? How do we so easily fall in love with whatever is in front of us? How do we do it time and time again? How do we end up jealous of others who have it better than we do in this life? Why why don't they struggle like I do? Why don't they go through what I do? We forget God. We forget that our God says, you have me. You have me. And I lavish whatever blessings, whatever challenges, they come from my hand. I lavish them on you day by day. I urge you to stay near me. And you're worried about that? You want that? You're upset because you don't have that? Or you're upset because you do have this? You've forgotten who I am. Maybe, even for believers in Christ, the things we want 
are things that will push us further away from Him. Maybe He does not give us what we want that we might stay near Him. Have you considered that? For the things you say, I don't have this. I want this. And He's saying, if I gave you that, you would do what they did. You would forget me. And so I don't give you that, that you might stay near me. That you might have me. Kids, this world is going to tell you to forget God. To move on from God. That God is the idea. Some, some grown-ups tell each other fairy tales about a God who exists. Be, but it's time to be mature. And, and just worry about what's in front of you here and now. That you're missing out. Take all those great things He gave you and use them for whatever makes you happy. Happy, I put in quotations. You'll chase happy for your whole life and never find it. And in turn, you'll find that you have abandoned the source of true joy. We don't gather to tell each other fairy tales to make ourselves feel better. We gather because we have a great God who has called us into fellowship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not something that we grow out of. Right? One of the blessings, I was just talking about this with someone on Friday at lunch at the Hope House. Right? A multi-generational church is a, such a blessing because our kids can see, oh, I don't grow out of becoming a Christian. I don't grow out of loving the Lord. I grow into loving the Lord. Right? The people of Israel had forsaken their hope. They had sought the love of false gods that could not care for them. Even as they were rebelling, the Lord had provided everything that they had. To a bride this wayward, it's fair to assume that her final fate is abandonment, right? Would anybody blame Hosea for saying, no, look, I did it once. That hurt, I'm done. Would anybody blame the Lord for saying, how many chances do I have to give you people? Instead, in these chapters, the Lord unveils His plan to buy His bride back. Much like we ought to be astonished that Hosea goes and buys his own wife back, even more so should we be shocked that this is the heart of the one who made everything and can do as he pleases. He doesn't wipe his people out, but he says in 2.14, look at 2.14. He, he's talking about all the things that Israel did wrong, all the, the, all the curses, you know, all the accusations against him, all the charges... And in 2.14, he says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. And bring her into the wilderness. And speak tenderly to her. What? Because of all the things she did wrong, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to allure her. I'm going to win her back. 
The Lord has a plan to win his bride again. He will allure her and he will speak tender words to her. He is so good and gracious to do so. But please note this morning, where is he going to do that? Where is that going to happen? In the wilderness, in the valley, all these promises of curse, of destruction for the people of Israel. We see them in 1, 4, and 5, 1, 6, 2, 3, and 4, 2, 6, and 7, 2, 9, 2, 10, 2, 11 through 13. All of these promises of curse are just and deserved punishments. And at the same time, all of them are meant to ultimately lead the people of Israel to see the great mercy of God. He is going to make the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, a door of hope. He is going to do these things. This prosperity is about to end. They're about 50 years away from it all going away. But he is going to make that valley of trouble a door of hope. How often is it that the Lord is gracious to remove blessings in order that we might look to him again? Do you know that that's a mercy when he does that? It's a mercy when we are reminded that everything we have in him is the best thing that we have. It's a mercy when he takes something away from us that begins to compete with that knowledge. It's a mercy when he gives pain in our lives or allows pain in our lives that we might look to him. Sometimes we forget that to have the Lord is to have everything. No spouse can compare. But we think that there's something better out there. Yet in the wilderness, he promises to speak tenderly to his people. Through pain, to remind them that He is their husband. Or through pain, to invite us to know Him. And even more than that, our hearts, I pray, will be convicted and encouraged here because ultimately the solution, ultimately the fix to this problem is not found in what we can do. He doesn't make a call on us here. The solution to the problem is found in what He can and will do. Listen to the I wills of chapter 2, verses 14 to 23. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. I will make a covenant with the beasts of the field. I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in steadfast love, and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. I will answer the heavens. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. All the wandering of Israel, 
all that their wandering heart has done, the Lord himself will undo. The people who are worthy of only destruction will experience a salvation so great that it causes them to call God my husband again. The Lord himself will change their names. If your name was no mercy, you'd be looking for a name change. And he promises to change their names. The name Jezreel, which commemorates a vicious slaughter, would be changed to Jezreel, which means the Lord will sow. The Lord will do it. No mercy, change in that name. No mercy shall receive mercy. Not my people will be my people. This faithful husband will chase his wayward bride down and buy her back. This is a promise not just for the kingdom of Israel, not just for the kingdom of Judah, but for us. Did, did uh, 2.23 sound familiar to you? And I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Do you know where else in the Bible that is? I think I heard it. Muffled. Romans 9. The mystery of the fact that the Lord has included the Jews and the Gentiles in the people of God. In His electing love and mercy, we are among those who can read these words and say, Amen. Because our faithful husband chased us down. The Lord says in 3.5 that these people will come to David, their king, as they seek the Lord. David himself had already died. But the Lord foretells a time to come when one who sits on David's throne would unite the people of God, right? 3.5, afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And in the latter days, the son of David did come. Jesus Christ, fully God, took on flesh and He lived in the valley of trouble without sin. He knew sorrows. He knew lack. He knew want. But it wasn't any judgment for, for His sins. The valley of trouble found its depths on the cross where he died to buy his bride. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. At the cross, the Lord showed us how horrific our rebellion truly was, our love for other gods, our worship of whatever is most appealing at the moment. Maybe you know that today. I'll give my worship to whatever makes me feel good right now. The quickness with which we forget Him. Our ability to rejoice at that which dishonors Him. 
All of this Jesus bore on the cross. The valley of trouble that he endured, he endured our valley of trouble. It wasn't his. He was dying for no sin of his own, no transgression of his own, no crime of his own, but he bore our transgressions, our just punishment. He took it. He bore it so that we, through faith in Him, could be betrothed to the Lord forever. United to the Lord forever. Called the bride of Christ forever. In righteousness, I didn't get time. I I really wish I had more time to unpack 2, 19 and 20. But he says, He says in those verses, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. Okay, we'll start there. In Christ, the righteous demands of the law have been met, right? In his death, in his sacrifice. Christ died so that God might be what? Just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And I will betroth you to me in steadfast love and mercy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him might, be, might not perish but have everlasting life. He betroths us to himself in faithfulness. In Christ there is Nothing that can separate you from the everlasting love of God the Father. His faithfulness is what keeps the marriage strong. His faithfulness. His willingness to rescue and maintain. His Holy Spirit unites His people to Him and to one another now and forever. The valley of trouble became a door of hope because Christ flung open the doors of death, not to be held by them any longer. He rose from the dead to offer a living hope that will never perish. Hope for idolaters. Hope for the forgetful. If you are here today not believing in Christ, saying, yeah, I don't know, I I haven't remembered, I haven't thought of Him, I've loved other things, More than him, hear his invitation. Look at Hosea's call and ask yourself this. Who is beyond the mercy of God? Who is he unwilling to buy back? Who has done so much that they cannot receive grace and forgiveness from the Lord? There is hope when we realize, oh, there is a Lord. There is a God in the heavens and and He will ask me to give account for the life that I have lived one day. And the life I have lived has been far from Him. Ignoring Him. Denying Him. And He says today, turn and believe in Jesus. Find forgiveness and healing and hope. And as we go to the, the Lord's table today, brothers and sisters in Christ... We must examine ourselves too. Have we loved the gifts of God more than the giver? Have we functionally forgotten Him in our lives? He beckons us. Examine yourself. 
He does not tolerate contenders for his throne, but all who confess can receive mercy. The lengths that he went to, if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who among us this morning is too vile, too wicked, too far gone, forgiven too many times already? Maybe as you go to the Lord's table this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe you think, I couldn't possibly bring this to him again. Because surely he will turn me away this time. He laid down his life. Jesus laid down his life to buy back his bride. To show that there is no length that he won't go to to win his people. And that every time we come before the Lord and confess our sins, he is merciful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we can simultaneously acknowledge, I have been like that wayward bride in some ways. I don't want to be like that wayward bride. Forgive me, Lord. And hear his answer. Forgiven. Hosea boldly boldly declares, and Jesus vividly portrays, that none is so far gone that the grace of God can't reach him. So come, wretched sinner, and find forgiveness. Come, forgetful child, and find mercy. Praise God that through Christ we have been reconciled to our husband. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Certainly our sins have piled so high. We are not worthy of your grace and mercy. We are often forgetful. We are easily influenced by the world around us. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you that you are a God who bought back your bride at great cost through the death of your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that if there are some in this room who have never trusted in Christ as Savior, Lord, that you would have your way in their hearts, that they would see their need for you, that though they walk in the world that you have made and enjoy the gifts and blessings that you have showered upon them, they ignore you. But even for a people like that, even for people who take your gifts and use them to dishonor you. You call us to come and receive mercy through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be the day of mercy. Thank you, Father, that we can share at your table together and be reminded of your great love and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.